Welcome back to Trending in Education. I'm Mike Palmer here. Very happy to be joined by Ken Florence, who has provided much of the music that you hear as part of the show. Uh, Ken's also been on the show uh, a couple times to talk about music. And we're welcoming back uh, Ken to thank him for his contributions, maybe talk about where we might head next with music for the show. And then we're going to dive into dreams and what we can learn from dreams, how we can learn to take control of our dream life, some really interesting stuff that Ken's interested in. But Ken, welcome back. How does it feel? This is your third time. Thanks for having me back. It's, it feels good to be back. And yeah. yeah, I'm hoping to maybe retouch on some of the topics that we've dug up in the past and then maybe get to some new stuff too. Yeah, awesome. Talking about music, talking about synesthesia on the previous shows, I think was really interesting. What's it like nowadays? Are you still getting work as a composer, as a musician? You know, the world is a little bit upside down, but seems like a good time to be someone who's able to create musical outputs and, and then also be able to work across different formats and modalities. So how have things been for you? It's been a while. Yeah, you know, my work hasn't really slowed down at all. Mm-hmm. Fortunately, I, I know I'm one of the fortunate ones in this situation who's been able to kind of keep plugging away at what they do with, you know, without any diminished intensity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if anything, like you said, the workload has kind of increased. I'm, I'm working on more things now than ever. I'm producing a lot of bands, still, you know, composing a lot of music for various online products and commercials. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, just continuing to spend a lot of time in my studio. So yeah, not much has changed on that front. Yeah. I mean, if anything, like we were saying before we started recording, if you're a creative, if you're a productive person who wants to create a a portfolio of work and then you're sheltering at home, there's, it's hard to justify not being productive. It does make me think for people who are blocked, if you're a writer and you're having trouble or, you know, any sort of creative endeavor, if you're stuck, I could see that being extremely challenging these days because there's more people in your creative space conceivably and it's not as easy to find the outlets or the inspirations to continue to push yourself to do uh, great things. But that brings me to another interesting tidbit about uh, the pandemic and the response to the pandemic is that there has been an increased reporting of vivid dreams. There was an interesting article that will share out the work of Deidre Barrett, who you're familiar with, Ken, has done research into what drives our dream lives. And, and there's some hypotheses out there about how if you are more confined to your home, that may result in more time sleeping, although there are many people having trouble sleeping nowadays as well. And then the dreams that you have, there's been wide reporting of certain types of dreams becoming more prevalent and also the vividness of dreams becoming more uh, prevalent. As someone who's spent a good amount of time thinking about dreaming and dreaming about dreaming and just dreaming, any thoughts on the impact of the last few months on the collective zeitgeist about dreaming? Yeah, absolutely. This is a big one. You know, not only are we staying at home more often, but in any kind of watershed cultural moment, particularly a tumultuous or destabilizing one, we kind of expect there to be a corresponding rise in psychic activity in general. So mm-hmm. people kind of turn inwards. And so we have the, the COVID phenomenon where we're all sheltered in place, staying home more often, compounded with 
the fact that this is a you know this is an, it's an event of mythological proportion yes so it's uh it's inevitably going to stir up a lot of you know psychic detritus from from our collective mythological framework. Psychic Detritus is an amazing punk rock band name. I just like coming up with band names just in general, but Psychic, I mean, just Detritus is pretty good too. But, uh, but anyway, good I mean, job. It could even be a black metal band. I'm seeing the typical black metal font, uh, deer antlers, you know, like <laughs> dripping with blood. Maybe. We'll take that offline, but yes, yes. Anyway, you were saying Psychic Detritus. <laughs> you had me at Psychic Detritus, yeah. Right, so yeah, it's just there's a lot of stuff kind of bubbling up to the surface right now. And uh, one of the tropes that was mentioned in the Barrett article was this notion of bugs, Mm -hmm. Uh, but not just bugs, but just like foreign entities in general. I think people are experiencing kind of an upwelling in these symbols of the other, right? Of something outside of our control taking over our our psychic world. And I think people are are, are finding that that's often taking the form of bugs and and vermin and plagues. Right. And things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But, you know, they can also be natural catastrophes and mm-hmm. things of that sort. Basically anything that symbolizes some force coming in and wiping out the old order and opening up the possibility for something new to emerge in its place. Right, right. And there's a lot of anxiety and some theoretical frameworks about dreams that when our con- what our conscious mind can't process during our waking hours, our dream life allows us to consolidate that and file away our memories and our experiences. And to your point, if we're so spun up and and anxious during the day without the traditional outlets to work that out in our waking life, it then manifests in our dream life. And then it does so in this archetypal plague-like way. It's interesting The you know, you're talking about plagues as vermin, you know, COVID, COVID-19 is microscopic vermin, right? <laughs> you know, so, so it is. Well, the dream, the dream has to turn it into something that you can visualize. You know? Exactly. So it's going it, to, unless it's fantastic voyage and you're, you're shrunk down, honey, I shrunk my dream, you know, and you're swimming around in the, the blood vessels uh, with Raquel Welch. But so the vermin in our dreams are more likely bugs or just lots of things outside of our control, sort of non-human others that are, impinging on our worldview. And it is interesting that there are these consistent themes emerging in dreams. And then there's several occasions where I've run into folks who have somewhat unprovoked just offered. It's frequently like a Zoom. I think there've been at least two Zoom meetings I've been in where someone says, anybody else having weird dreams lately? I think it's also a byproduct of we're all in these awkward Zoom rooms and there's only so many things you can bring up on a virtual happy hour. But I have heard multiple people... (laughs) Why not bring up the weirdest subject you could possibly bring up? Exactly. And then, as if that weren't enough, though, Ken, you go further, right? So many of us view these dreams as maybe external signals, things that come in from outside of our conscious understanding. They happen to us. We either just go, oh, that was interesting, and we get back to our lives, or maybe we struggle with what did it actually mean. But you've done more than that, right? You've actually thought about taking a little more of an active stance and engaged approach to how you deal with and, and experience your dream life. And you, know, you and I have talked about it a few different times, and we haven't talked about it on the podcast. And I think it's a really interesting area to explore. And we have talked about sleep a decent amount on the show, and especially as you get into learning, unlocking your creativity, 
dealing with psychic health and dealing with the anxieties and the new, new stresses that we're under, I think there's lots of ways in which this does tie to an emerging trend. And you may be a little bit ahead of trend on some of this stuff, even though folks have talked about lucid dreaming for many, many years. But, uh, but I'd love to get a little more into that with you. Can you maybe start just high level and then we'll get into a little more detail about some of the stuff you've been digging into on the, the dream side? Yeah, absolutely. So I guess we could start off by talking about, about lucid dreaming, mm-hmm. kind of what it is and some basic approaches for kind of, you know, becoming initially involved in a practice like that. Mm-hmm. And then maybe we can get into some more, some more esoteric territory. And disclaimer, uh, a couple things. First off, Ken promised not to, hip- not to hypnotize me as part of this. And I think that would extend to our listeners too. They won't be hypnotized, you know, intentionally by anything that we're talking about. And is there anything dangerous about this? Is there anything to disclaim up top if folks are starting to think about lucid dreaming? Are there any, just be careful? Because people talk about weird, there's, there's a lot of lore and like mythology even around right. doing this type of stuff. Any thoughts on that before we dive in? Yeah, well, I mean, first of all, I'm not a doctor <laughs> or and I don't have a PhD. Yeah. So, and I, and I haven't studied any of this stuff formally. It's just a practice that I'm, I'm what you could call maybe like a, a, a dreaming enthusiast. Uh-huh. So, I mean, all, all I'll say is that if you have some kind of like underlying psychological issue yeah. that you're trying to work through, right. obviously digging into that territory intentionally and kind of messing around with the machinery of your psychology right. might not be a good idea. Especially with um, that, without help, right? If you had a guide, if you have a therapist you were working with, for example, let them know you're doing this type of stuff or whatever. And then if you're not, it's more just a way, it's kind of like mindfulness. It's, it's, I think of it along the lines of that, ways in which we can start to engage in the experience of our consciousness and dreams are such a big part of that. We might as well learn more about doing something with that aspect of our, you know, conscious experience, unconscious experience, but like it, it feels, it feels like consciousness. So, so yeah, so we've disclaimed good job by us. And, and yeah, you were going to, you're going to talk a bit about lucid dreaming. Yeah. Well, I mean, just to, to kind of go back really quickly to the, to the disclaimer, there's just so much positive gain that you can get out of a practice like this out of, you know, exploring the unconscious and kind of the deeper recesses of your psyche. I think, you know, on the same token, it's, it's worth pointing out that if you have some kind of issue that you're trying to work through, lucid dreaming could be a potential avenue to explore. Right. You know, psychoanalysis is very close to what you're describing. That whole philosophy, that psychological school of thought, Sigmund Freud, Carl Jung, basically was very interested in the symbolic power of dreams and the impact of that symbolism on our our conscious mind and our ability to to address issues that surface during our dream life in our waking life is really one of the tenets of psychoanalysis the unconscious is trying to get stuff worked out and the conscious mind can pick up some of those signals through dreams. And then particularly with a guide, with a psychoanalyst, we can then, you know, improve on your, your therapeutic process by, by using the dreams. That's a pretty common concept that's been around for some time. Going back even further, there's a very prophetic side to dreams too, where a lot of folks claim to have visions or are able to, to sort of see the future. There's another angle. We're a trend spotting show. We understand where we're heading. 
So we got to get better at understanding what we can learn from our dreams because maybe we could find some stock tips or figure out what sort of educational company we want to found. Who knows? <laughs> but there, there's, there's plenty stock of- Stock tips I wouldn't count on, but there is a, a degree of informational mining that you can kind of uh, get from a lucid dreaming practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, now it's interesting, you mentioned Carl Jung and Sigmund Freud. Carl Jung was actually opposed to lucid dreaming. Mm. He kind of thought that, that you should allow the unconscious to sort of play out on its own mm -hmm. and that the most appropriate approach to exploring the unconscious was as a passive observer mm -hmm. and, and to allow it guide you along the process, mm -hmm. right? Because it represents a larger part of your psyche that has a sort of autonomy and volition Mm -hmm. of its own mm -hmm. that you can kind of otherize and, and and treat as a sort of guide as it were mm -hmm. but no i think there's a lot to be gained from lucid dreaming and basically what it is just when you become aware during a dream mm -hmm. and, and most people have had an experience with a spontaneous lucid dream like at least once or twice in their lives right and i was a person who was kind of prone to frequent spontaneous lucid dreams and i have been throughout my life mm -hmm. And I was also really prone to, to sleep paralysis, which is another sort of related phenomenon mm -hmm. within the same wheelhouse. And, and actually the sleep paralysis component was the thing which led me to try to develop a, an active lucid dreaming practice. Yep. Um, because I was looking for something that could alleviate the burden of this frequent sleep paralysis that I was experiencing. What is uh, sleep paralysis? Well, sleep paralysis is the experience of waking up but having your body remain still asleep. Yeah. It happens when you're either falling asleep or waking up from having been asleep. Mm -hmm. And your mind becomes active, but your body is still physiologically in the dream state. It's paralyzed yep. and can't yep. move. Yep. And so this experience is usually accompanied by a whole slew of really frightening images and disconcerting sounds and, and calamities that seem to be going on in your sleeping environment. And it's a pretty scary experience. People find themselves saying to themselves, if I could only move my finger, you right. know, like you're trying, you're trying to muster like all the energy possible to try to like move one of your limbs or to shout out to somebody to, to get them to wake you up, but mm -hmm. you're just frozen. Mm -hmm. So that's sleep paralysis. Mm -hmm. And I found myself in the position of having this experience more and more frequently. And I was just kind of in search of something that could remedy this problem. And I found that, that something called wake-induced lucid dreaming was really the best, the best remedy for sleep paralysis mm -hmm. because it's a way to approach lucid dreaming that's a lot more active, right? You can actually plan when you want to go into one of these experiences. Yep. And, and also when you find yourself in an, an instance of sleep paralysis, you can use the same techniques from wake-induced lucid dreaming to catapult yourself into a dream experience rather than an instance of sleep paralysis. So I know yeah. I've kind of wandered off into some more esoteric territory. That's good though. It, it clarifies your narrative, what got you into this? And, and then this idea of the bridging between waking life and unconscious life, which is something that someone who experiences sleep paralysis is, is bridging back and forth between those two worlds. And in some ways, lucid dreaming is a window into the dream world that gives you some sense of agency there. So if you feel stuck in that in-between space and sleep paralysis, it does make sense to me that learning how to have some control over your experience when you're in a dream would be one potential remedy for, for that particular thing. So that got you in, but then folks who don't suffer from sleep paralysis uh, still can benefit from 
lucid dreaming. And then I like your copy because I'm a young guy. I, I dig me some Carl Jung. So I appreciate that his counsel was let the dream life happen and use those symbols and the collective unconscious and your unconscious communicating to you and don't try to drive that. Makes sense, understanding the way Jung thinks about this. So, so all that being said, you've got some experience, you have some knowledge, you're an enthusiast about lucid dreaming and what it was able to do for you. And you have some, some insights, some, some things that you can share with others. You've also worked a bit on helping other people learn this stuff too. So if, if folks want to learn more about this stuff. The crux of my method is a focus on practice mm -hmm. over theory. Mm -hmm. um, and while I do choose to retain some of the more new agey language around this practice, mm -hmm. it's not necessary to adopt any kind of philosophical framework or, or a set of beliefs in order to practice these things and actually get results from them. Full disclosure, I've had a few lucid dreams in my life. Uh, they were pretty cool. I don't think I did much to make them happen. They just happened. And for whatever reason, I was able to do some stuff. And then it almost felt like when you're first playing a video game, I started doing some tests. I wanted to see, could I fly? And then I, I flew up above a cliff and then I saw there was an ocean down there. So then I decided to fly down into the ocean. And once I went into the water, I woke up. So the very vivid memory of that experience. And I have heard the trope, I think it was in Waking Life, which was a Steven Soderbergh film, from, animated film back in the day that yeah, talked a lot. Film. Yeah, and it talked a lot about lucid dreaming. And one of the ideas there that when you're dreaming, you can't turn or turn off uh, lights, you know, and that's partly this. this not, is, not always true, by the way. Right. But that's a trope that's out there, particularly around Freddy Krueger. And am I in real life? Am I in a dream life? I want to wake up. So that idea that I want to know whether this is real or not, just so that I sort of adjust how I behave. That's another thing that is out there. So right. folks who are just getting familiar with this idea. Any advice for the, the early dabbler, someone who maybe has had a, an experience semi-lucid dream once or twice and uh, thinks they're kind of cool and maybe wants to figure out, we're all taking on projects these days, so, so maybe someone wants to, to liven up their dream life a little bit. What advice would you give them? Yeah, absolutely. Well, the light switch thing that you mentioned is what's called a trigger. Mm -hmm. That's what I call a trigger. Some people use different words, different terminology uh, to describe the same thing. But yeah, a trigger is an object or an entity or even an event that you select in advance mm -hmm. to be something that cues the dreamer to the fact that, that you're dreaming, right? Mm -hmm. And often it's a super ordinary object from your environment, like a light switch or a clock or something that somehow looks or seems off in the dream environment. And when you notice that the thing is off, it's not, it's not, you know, functioning like it should, like the mm -hmm. physics of it seem kind of weird, mm -hmm. that cues you to the realization that you're dreaming. And then once you, once you make that realization, you can then exert a higher degree of volitional control over what then transpires in the dream experience. Right. And uh, you never really achieve a level of total control over the dream world. There's always some degree of spontaneity uh, and surprise mm -hmm. that remains part of the experience, but you can control certain aspects of it and direct the narrative toward certain ends. Mm -hmm. And it's particularly useful for people who are seeking like creative inspiration or like mm -hmm. solutions to problems, because what you can do is you can go looking for, for things, for information. I say, for instance, you, you know, you're not going to find a lottery number, but say for instance, you're a graphic designer and you're 
stuck on coming up with a logo for a brand. Well, you could, you could say to yourself, I'm going to find the logo that I've been looking for behind this door, right? And then you open the door mm-hmm. and something is going to be there, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It may or may not be what you were looking for, but something is going to be there. And then right, the idea right. is to try to wake yourself up, record whatever it was that you saw, and hopefully that turns into an idea that you can then utilize. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, but then back to the, to the issue of entry-level techniques. So, so triggers are, are one thing you can do. So kind of selecting things from your environment and then kind of trying to notice when they seem off. Right. Another thing that you can do, which is just super entry-level, is just maintain a dream journal. Mm-hmm. Right. So, and, and think more about dreams. Mm-hmm. A lot of people report that they don't have dreams mm-hmm. and that's probably not true. It's probably just that we don't remember our dreams mm-hmm. and uh, the window of opportunity for remembering a dream is pretty narrow. Yeah. Uh, and usually what you want to do is right after you wake up, go to your dream journal and write down any impressions that might be lingering from having just woken up. Right. Um, and often you'll find that there's something there. Right. right? right. And so just latching onto an impression can lead to, uh, you know, more and more recall of, of the narrative that that um, impression was from mm-hmm. to the point where you might end up being able to describe an entire dream sequence. Right, way. right. So yeah, just thinking about dreams more often, recording them, and then this idea of triggers. Right. There's a really good trigger that I've found is really useful, and this is the hands technique. Mm-hmm. The hands technique, to my knowledge, was first laid out in uh, Carlos Castaneda's book, The, the Teachings of Don Juan, yeah. which <laughs> we don't have to go into it, but he, he presented as a, a historical account, mm-hmm. but which was later determined to be mostly fictional. Yeah. But anyway, the technique works. And the technique is throughout the day, you just kind of look down at your open palms and just stare at them for 10 to 15 seconds at a time mm-hmm. with the idea that at some point in your next dream, you'll see your hands fly up into your face mm. sort of randomly. Mm-hmm. And so you're kind of programming uh, yourself to have this experience of hands flying up into your face. Uh-huh. Um, and if you do it enough times throughout the day, and if you stare at your hands long enough and really set the intention for mm-hmm. this event to occur, chances are you're going to find your hands flying up into your face in, in one of your next dreams. Um, and, then, and then that's a signal that you're dreaming. So basically you want to be able to have that level of awareness, metacognition within the dream that I am in fact in a dream. And that's what the, the triggers are. And using your hands is like a way to create a trigger, looking at your hands the way you were describing. I've also heard a lot of research, or I've read research and, and heard folks talk about what you're thinking about as you go to sleep can also drive your dream life. And also if you can visualize things or if you have a picture near your bed, does any of that ring true to you? Absolutely. That really falls into the same category of just like thinking about dreams more often. Mm-hmm. Because what, what you're doing when you think about your dream life is you're nudging your psychology more into that framework, mm-hmm. right? And so you're kind of priming your, your subconscious to become mm-hmm. more activated. Mm-hmm. And so it's about setting intentions. When you set intentions for things to happen in your dream life, it just makes them more likely to occur, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, for sure. And that, I imagine having other people in your life who enjoy hearing you talk about dreams is another way to build a culture around it too. Realizing that if you have a dream buddy or a dream team is a little easier than, than doing it entirely on your own. 
really interesting stuff. A uh, couple of areas to touch on and then uh, maybe we can wrap. And it's great to have you back on. I look forward to getting you back on more on the, the regular in the future. But the two areas that this touches on that I find interesting and take it wherever you want or feel free not to take it anywhere. One is psychedelics and the idea that the dream experience is not too dissimilar from a psychedelic experience. So I think that's one area that, that I, w- I was curious about. And then the other aspect of this is how close dreams are to simulations and other forms of virtual reality and new media that are emerging. Just as we're in the, the unstructured riff phase, both of those conceptions and, and worlds of experience seem to me dreamlike. And I'd be curious if you had any perspective on how they're related or not related or uh, meaningfully different or whatever in relation to dreaming and lucid dreaming. So on the one hand, you have psychedelics. You mentioned, you know, the Castaneda and and Don Juan on the one hand. And then on the other hand, I think it's more, you know, Sims are getting really fantastical thoughts about how that may relate back to our dream life. Sure. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. Well, on the psychedelics front, I can't really speak to the neuropharmacology of the subject yeah, yeah. with any authority, obviously, but phenomenologically dreams and psychedelic experiences can be very similar. Mm-hmm. And, but also dreams can be incredibly banal, mm-hmm. as, as most people know. I think a lot of us have had the experience of kind of working through our, our day-to-day activities in our, in our dreams, which isn't necessarily thrilling. But one really cool thing that you can do with lucid dreaming is you can sort of tap into psychedelic modes of experience mm-hmm. without the use of psychedelics. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so that's a, a potential positive for people who are interested in exploring altered states of consciousness mm. without having to ingest substances. Yep, yep, right? yep. Mm-hmm. So obviously it helps if you've done the substance. Say you've had an experience with psychedelic mushrooms or something. Yeah. It, it then becomes fairly easy to recreate a mushroom experience in the dream world. Interesting. Right, so you find the substance in a drawer somewhere and you, mm-hmm. and you pop one and you'll find yourself really quickly kind of playing through the phenomenology of the psychedelic experience within the dream. Interesting. Um, so maybe it's a way to kind of like only have to do a psychedelic once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, then it, it, and it does come back to the idea of using a guide. What I've read and heard about psychedelics is that there were a lot of therapeutic uses and the concept of your Sherpa or your spirit guide walking you through that experience that's why I was almost uh, trying to understand the analogizing of that to dreams too. If you want to get better at it, having someone with experience who could get a mentor and guide you through it is an interesting uh, concept. And then similarly, you know, it is interesting to think through the opening up of your consciousness through use of psychedelics that once it's opened once through some kind of dreamlike experience or an actual dream, you can tap back into that experience. That's, that's, really interesting. And then any thoughts on uh, simulations? Because the concern that I have is just the whole Elon Musk thing, where are we all really in a simulation right now? You know, people have been saying that about dreams for years, you know, deja vu, presque vu, all the vus (laughs) related to dreams. 
this to Carl Jung point too, blurring the lines between what is real and what is a phenomenological experience that is not tied to physical conscious reality. It does make me think about the adjacencies that are there, whether it's around mind altering drugs on the one hand, or just really multimedia experiences that are that are kind of blowing your mind. So I'd also love to get your perspective on that too, just as someone who's in on the multimedia, into music and all that. So any thoughts on how the the evolution of simulations and interactive multimedia virtual reality will relate to our dream life. And this is the purely speculative point in the show as if we weren't there already. So you won't be held to any of this, but I'm just curious your thoughts. Yeah, so one thing that comes to mind is that part of achieving a solid lucidity within a dream has to do with physicalizing the space, right? So the more that you can interface with the dream world in a physical way, Mm. the more lucid you become. And the better able you can become at manipulating the, uh, the physics of the environment. What do you mean by the physical? Ordinarily in a dream, in a a normal dream, things can be kind of nebulous and imagistic. Yes. And it might seem like you're just kind of like floating around in a a slipstream of images. Mm -hmm. But if you can grab hold of those images and touch them Mm -hmm. and turn them around and interact with them as if they were the physical environment, Mm -hmm. that not only increases your mental acuity in the space, It just heightens the entire experience and and it makes it more real, basically. Mm -hmm. And I think the same thing can be said for virtual environments. The more immersive a virtual environment can be, the more it just seems like we're we're in another place, right? right? Mm -hmm. We're in a parallel continuum of sorts. And with the rise of digital technology and the increasing prevalence of virtual space in our lives, mm-hmm. we're going to become more and more accustomed to this idea of just sort of existing in, in several realities at once, right? In right? dreams, you know, they're just one reality that we happen to have been acquainted with already mm-hmm. for, for thousands of years. Awesome. I'm looking at my clock. It's behaving normally. The lights, I can manipulate them. I feel pretty confident this is not a dream. If it is, it was a very engaging conversation. Assuming it's not a dream and I'm going to publish this as a podcast, do you have any final thoughts uh, to share with our listeners? And really thanks again, again, for providing the music that you've done for Trending in Education. We're trying to work with you more as, as we launch other shows and a lot of folks on the outside to hear the voice of the mind that created the sound that is part of the show. So thanks again uh, to you for that. But any final thoughts on anything we talked about, uh, dreams or otherwise today, before we wrap? Well, thanks for having me on, Mike. It's been uh, a pleasure talking to you today, and it's been great to, to work you know, with you uh, on the music for the show. Yeah. Um, and I hope to be able to do more of it and, and you know, come back on again sometime. But yeah, the, the only thing that I'll point folks to is my website, mm-hmm. levelsobt.com. Okay. Um, and you can go there to find more information about lucid dreaming and wake-induced lucid dreaming and just kind of dive down the, the whole rabbit hole that is lucid dreams. Yeah, and you know, many of us have time on our hands now, so, so it is a place to see some control of a part of your life that you might not have felt that you had control over, and it also is super fascinating that we're all having an entirely different experience of our dream lives in light of the profound behavioral changes induced by the 
response to the pandemic. All super fascinating stuff. Really great to get Ken on the show. We'll continue to get his creative input, including his participation in shows like this in the future. And thanks to folks again for listening. We'll be back again soon on Trending in Education. Thank you.